0: When you found me, I was so blind. My sin was before. moment when I come home I'll sing, I'll dance my heart will overflow from the day you saved my soul from the day you saved my soul till the
1: Good morning. We'd like to welcome you to church this morning, and we're going to begin our service with some words from Addie Silbert. Good morning. Uh, My name is Addie Silbert, or as some of you or your kids better know me, the Ice Cream Lady. Uh, I'd like to take a couple minutes this morning and talk to you about a ministry that we are trying to initiate through Partners at Home. It's called Celebrate Recovery which is the largest Christ-centered recovery program. Over 3.5 million people have worked through the program in over 29,000 churches. Typically, when people hear the word recovery, their first thought goes to drugs and alcohol. Only one out of three people attending Celebrate Recovery are there because of substance abuse. Celebrate Recovery encompasses all types of hurts, habits, and hang-ups. It's a recovery program for anger, gambling, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, alcoholism, abuse, codependency, drug addiction, and the list goes on and on. Celebrate Recovery is a safe place, a refuge, a place of belonging, a place to care for others and be cared for, where respect is given to each member, where confidentiality is highly regarded, a place to learn, to grow and become strong again, where you can take off your mask, a place for healthy challenges and healthy risks, a possible turning point in your life. It is not a place of selfish control, therapy, a place for secrets, a place to look for dating relationships, a place to rescue or be rescued by others, a place of perfection, a long-term commitment, a place to judge others, or a quick fix. So how is AA and other 12-step programs different than Celebrate Recovery? The principal difference between AA and other programs in Celebrate Recovery is that Celebrate Recovery focuses on Jesus Christ as the true higher power, uses God's word as its guide, and there is a large group of worship time to help connect with God and prepare for the message of Christ-centered recovery. Celebrate Recovery's eight principles, written by Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church, intersect perfectly with the 12 steps by connecting the core principles of recovery to Jesus' teachings from the Sermon on the Mount. Currently, there are no Celebrate Recovery groups north of Sio until you reach Buffalo or Rochester. I had the opportunity to attend one of the meetings in York's Corners and discovered that there are people driving from beyond Fillmore to attend. With the growing opioid epidemic, as well as our own hurting and surrounding communities, we see this as a vital ministry, but we need willing volunteers to get this off the ground. There's an insert in your bulletin regarding an informational meeting this Tuesday, the 17th. We'd love to see you there to learn more about this ministry. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Addie. Please stand and join us as we continue in worship of our almighty God. Come set your rule and
0: reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray, unveil. Walking through deserts, I need more of your presence, I'm weak. Savior, be my strength. Jesus is coming soon. Call back the sinner, wake up the saints, let every nation shout of your fame. Jesus is coming. There's a place that we're made for just beyond what we have known.
2: Father, we have come to this hour of worship because the desire of our hearts is that your kingdom would indeed come to us right now. That we would see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we would know the joy and the peace and the grace of who you are and of your kingdom. We thank you, Father, that as we gather today and sing your praises and as we read your word and proclaim your word, you invite us to offer to you the prayers of our hearts. So we do that. We pray father for the needs of our fallen broken world. We see them every day. We think of refugees who have who have no place to to call home who live in in camps that are often very difficult places to exist. We pray that you will help them to get home and create a situation that Makes their home safe again. We pray, Father, for places of war in the world and can't help but think about the, the conflict uh, with our country in North Korea. And we pray, Father, that you will bring peace where there is fear of war. We pray for your church around the world. We thank you for the way you help our brothers and sisters who live in very difficult places. We think especially of the Christians in North Korea who are isolated, under surveillance, forced to meet in secrecy. Hundred thousand in prisons and work camps and hundreds of thousands have died through the years. We pray that you will help them to know your grace, your protection, your mercy, and may they know our support. And Father, quite frankly, may our lives be challenged. May faith deepen in us as we see them living for you. We pray for the ministry of 10-3 in Africa. As they set up uh, education and, and as they work with local teachers and as they use computer technology, we pray, Father, that you will continue to expand this ministry. And as it expands, there are financial needs especially for the Petrillos and the Szymanskis who have so much to do with the ministry happening there by working here. And we pray that you would bless them in the needs that they have. May they know your grace and help in all that they do. And Father, we we pray for the needs that are closer to us. Think about the people of Puerto Rico and all who are recovering and they are up the coast in Mexico from recent hurricanes and earthquakes. We pray for the people who are dealing with the wildfires in California and grieving loss of life and property and possessions and uncertainty. We pray that you will bring that under control. We think of people who are grieving and recovering from the shooting in Las Vegas. Our hearts break that these kinds of things happen. We pray that in all of these circumstances, your church... Will be a presence of hope and joy in the midst of despair and a presence of love and and grace, meeting the needs that people have. Father, we we thank you for the ministries of our church and how you help us here. We pray, Father, for celebrate recovery as we are in the process of getting this ministry off the ground. And we pray that you will bless the organization and the preparation that we may be ready to help each other and others in the burdens and the struggles that we have in life that come to us. We pray for other churches around us. We think today of the Joy Community Church and Machias and Pastor John Galagos. Pour out your abundant blessing on this gathering of believers As they worship today, may they sense your spirit with them and may they bear witness to who you are, to their community and beyond. And Father, we pray for the needs that we represent here today. Those who are grieving. Those who are struggling with health concerns, financial concerns, worried about the future, relationships that are not what we wish they would be. We pray for your healing, restoring grace. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for loving us. We offer these prayers in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
3: The scripture reading this morning is selected verses from Micah. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord gave this message to Micah of Moresheth. During the years when Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah, the visions he saw concerned both Samaria and Jerusalem. Attention! Let all the people of the world listen. Let the earth and everything in it hear. The sovereign Lord is making accusations against you. The Lord speaks from his holy temple. Look, the Lord is coming. He leaves his throne in heaven and tramples the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath his feet and flow into the valleys like wax in a fire, like water pouring down a hill. And why is this happening? Because of the rebellion of Israel. Yes, the sins of the whole nation. Who is to blame for Israel's rebellion? Samaria, its capital city. Where is the center of idolatry in Judah? In Jerusalem, its capital. Listen to me, you leaders of Israel. You hate justice and twist all that is right. You are building Jerusalem on a foundation of murder and corruption. You rulers make decisions based on bribes. You priests teach God's laws only for a price. You prophets won't prophesy unless you are paid. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. Then at last his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land. And he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Then his people will live there undisturbed, for he will be highly honored around the world, and he will be the source of peace. Listen to what the Lord is saying. Stand up. And state your case against me. Let the mountains and hills be called to witness your complaints. And now, O oh mountains, listen to the Lord's complaint. He has a case against his people, and he will bring charges against Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? What have I done to make you tired of me? Answer me. For I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam to help you. Don't you remember, my people? How King Balak of Moab tried to have you cursed, and how Balaam, son of Beor, blessed you instead? And remember your journey from Acacia Grove to Gilgal, when I, the Lord, did everything I could to teach you about my faithfulness. What can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God Most High with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No, O people. The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of his special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever, because you delight in showing unfailing love. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. You will show us your faithfulness and unfailing love as you promised to our ancestors, Abraham and Jacob, long ago. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Not everybody was here, I think, when we started this morning. And uh, Addie Silbert uh, made an announcement about the Celebrate Recovery program that we are hoping to get started here in the next few weeks and months. And there's an informational meeting this Tuesday at 6.30 in the Christian Education Building. just want to make sure you see that. It's just, you're not committing to anything to come, but it's just, what's this about? And how might I be involved? And this might, it's a, a meeting just to get a sense of what Celebrate Recovery is about. And so we invite you to be a part of that. Also, uh, we are in the, in the beginning, in the stages of getting ready to uh, start our ninth 24-7 three-week prayer vigil, and it starts on the 29th, two weeks from today. We're hoping to have the reservation calendar up and ready today. We've had a few glitches in that, but I think we're getting those settled, so we definitely will have that next week, but probably over the course of the next few days, it'll be up on the website as well. And uh, this is an opportunity for us to come together as a, as a church and a wider community and uh, pray, and our, our goal is to fill up 504 hours of prayer. And so if this is, if many of you have been around, you know, have done this, maybe you may be new to uh, the church and things, but this is something we've done for a number of years and look forward to doing it again. Our theme this year is, I have loved you, from the prophet Micah, so seek me and live, from uh, prophet Amos. Uh, and so we, we were really want to have you involved in uh, this prayer vigil, and you'll be seeing more about that in the coming couple of weeks. Let me invite you to stand and share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. One of the things about human beings is that we have a tendency to forget at least okay I'll, i won't put that on you i'll put it on me i have a tendency to forget sometimes i forget where i'm supposed to be sometimes i forget what i'm supposed to do i have more and more experiences of walking into a room and trying to remember why did i come into this room i cannot remember and my mother always used to say if you can't remember go back and retrace your steps and see if that will help you i've done a lot of retracing and it doesn't always help but you understand that you you know what that's like to to forget and and sometimes it's frustrating and sometimes it gets us into trouble but as human beings we struggle to remember we struggle with forgetting and that is just as true about life as it is about our spiritual relationship with god we forget And one of the most significant things that we struggle with remembering is that we are God's people. We are the people of God. If you are a follower of Christ, you are part of the people of God. And there is significance to being the people of God. As this prophecy of Micah begins, he says, I'm going to talk to Samaria and and Jerusalem. I'm going to talk to Israel and Judah, the two tribes, the two nations that, that make up the people of God. But he says, this is addressed. I want the whole world to listen. I want everyone to hear what I'm saying. Because to be the people of God is to bear witness to who God is. What it means to be the people of God means that we live, that the world only knows God through the lives of His people. There's no other way for people to understand who God is except through the lives of His people. And so, how we live, what we do, is so significant. That we remember we are God's people. And as Micah addresses God's people in this prophecy, he is telling us to remember. Because we so easily forget. Now the people of Israel and Judah have gone way off the rails. they They actually have so forgotten who they are as God's people that they look like everybody else. How things operate in all the nations around them is exactly how things are operating among God's people. Court cases are settled by bribes, not justice. The wealthy take advantage of the poor. They steal their homes. They take their clothes. They manipulate them. They use them. There's violence all over the land. Oppression. Injustice. It is, prophets are, will only prophesy if they're paid, and the priests will only sacrifice if they're paid. And there is this system of whoever has the most wealth, whoever has the most influence, gets what they want, and everybody else is on their own. And God's saying to the prophet Micah, that's not what my people look like. Because what it's telling everybody else is, the God of Israel, Yahweh, is no different than any other God. But God sets apart his people to be different. When you get to chapter 6, God says, All right, let's have a court case. Let's take this thing to court. So, you got accusations against me? Let's hear them. And so, they have this courtroom scene. And he says, The mountains and the hills, you'll be the judge. And Israel, you come with me with your accusations. And they come to him with their accusations. And then God says, all right, let me turn the tables on you because I, I have some cross-examining I want to do. And God steps up to Israel and he says, what have I done to, to make you so upset with me? What have I done to, that has, has worn you out, has wearied you about following me? Come on, answer me, tell me, what have I done that's been so bad for you? And they don't say a word, so God answers for them. And he says, well, I'll tell you what I've done. I brought you out of Egypt in slavery. I, I gave you Moses and Aaron and Miriam to lead you. Oh, and you remember that incident when, when the, the Moabites were trying to have, bring in a, the prophet to curse you? I made him bless you. I brought you into this land. I protected you when you wandered through the wilderness. I can see why you you think I don't care about you. I've done all these things for you. How am I wearying you? Why are you turning away from me? Because you've forgotten. I think one of the things that's one of the most important things for us to do as people of God is to give thanks. To remember all of the reasons we have to give thanks to God for all the things he's done for us. Because we so easily forget. We forget all the ways that God has blessed us. We forget all the ways that God's been good to us. We forget that God has given us so much and we end up taking it for granted. It's one of the reasons why I think it's important for us to continue to remember our brothers and sisters around the world who are persecuted for their faith. We pray for them and we care for them and helps us connect to them. But it also turns it back on us and reminds us how blessed we are. But when we forget to give thanks, we can easily weary of God and make accusations against God because we forget. And so Israel responds to God. says, fine. And I think their response in verses 6 and 7 is pretty sarcastic. They say to them, okay, so what can we bring to the Lord? All they can see is that this, that they, okay, God wants something from us again. So how about if we bring you more burnt offerings? Will that make you happy? How about if we bring you our best young calves? Maybe that will make you happy. Oh, I know. Why don't we bring you a thousand rams? This is where the sarcasm really kicks in. How about if we bring you a thousand rams? How about, would that please you? How about 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Maybe that will please you. I know. Why don't we give you our firstborn children? We'll just sacrifice them. Does that make you feel better, God? I mean, you can hear the sarcasm in their voices. And if that were me, I would say, okay, let me let me respond to you in a way that gets your attention but he doesn't he says to them now you know that's not what i want he says in the beginning of verse 8 this is what i want and you know what is good i'm not telling you something new i'm telling you what i want from you is what i've been telling you from the beginning it's written all over the pages of of the uh, Torah, of the law. It's in the mouths of the prophets. It's in the writings of the Psalms. It's everywhere. It's all I've been telling you. This is what I want from you. The translations say, this is what I require of you. But that word can also be translated, this is what I seek of you. It's the same word that Amos uses in his prophecy when he says, seek God and live. Seek good, not evil. And the seeking is a yearning, a passion, a desire. And God is saying, I have this yearning for you. This is, what I'm, this is my passion for you. This is, what, this is what my heart's desire is for you. That you would understand this and see this. And I want you to be passionate about it too. It's not a legal formula we're talking about here. This is something about your life. It's your very being. I want you to be passionate about this. And this is what I want from you. This is the kind of passion I'm looking for from you. I want you to do justice, act justly, and love mercy. That's what I want from you. I want you to act justly and love mercy. This, this, uh, this idea of acting justly or doing what is right, as NIV says, it, the word "do," the word "act," the action word here, is the same word that's used all throughout the creation story. It's not the initial word "bara," which means um, to create. In, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth; that He brought things out of nothing. It's not that word, but it's the word that's used almost exclusively after that in the creation story. It's the word that's used when it says, God made the heavens and the earth. God made the moon and the sun. God made the stars in the sky. God made the earth. God made the grass. God made the flowers. God made the trees. God made the animals. God made human beings. And there is an essence in this, this requirement, what God seeks from his people, is that we not only just respond to ju- about justice, but we create justice. We have this sense of making justice. It, it strikes me that he's talking about sort of an atmosphere. That where we go, what we do, it, it, every time we step into a room, we are thinking about justice. Justice. We're thinking about what is right and what is good. We're thinking about loving mercy, which is the other part of this. And to love mercy is to have a passion for mercy, to have a yearning, a desire for mercy. It is getting excited about being able to show mercy to people, particularly people who don't deserve it. It's the same word we talked about last week, uh, this word chesed. This unfailing love of God, this faithfulness, this kindness, gentleness, mercy, generosity. It's all, it's hard to even describe this word because it's so multifaceted. But it is everything good about God wrapped up into one word. And he says, I want you to love that. I want you to desire that. And when you put justice and mercy together, when you create justice and you love mercy, you create this atmosphere of hope. And this atmosphere of beauty. I think it's impossible for injustice and beauty to to, to operate together. Injustice is continually trying to destroy. But justice and mercy is trying to make things beautiful. It's taking situations that that are broken and messed up and and destructive and, and create beauty out of them. And that happens with God's people because we have been there. When we walk into a situation and then walk out of it, what do we leave? God is saying, I want you to leave a, a, an aura of justice and mercy. That every time you walk in a room, people are thinking, I am so glad they are here. They bring a presence of hope and beauty and grace and mercy and love that I just don't find many other places. Often we think about this idea of justice and mercy as the big things. We're gonna we're gonna put an end to human trafficking, or we're going to we're gonna to try to, to free persecuted Christians, or we're going to we're gonna take on all these huge world problems, and it's important to do that, and, and we need to be involved in doing those things. But I also think, and maybe predominantly think. It's in the small, everyday things of life. It's Because I'm convinced that God is not going to call us to the big things of life until we have shown an interest in mercy and justice in the small things of life. I was reading this week a story about a guy and some friends who went into a restaurant. It sounded even sort of like a chain restaurant, but it was a restaurant where... And he said, as soon as they walked in, they knew this service was going to be bad. I mean, you could hear people grumbling all over the place. Maybe you've been in those situations. You know, the food was late coming. There was nobody around, no table service. Everything was just a mess, and nobody was getting what they wanted, and it was just a, a chaotic atmosphere. They sat down, and the people next to them said, good luck getting anything to eat today. He so there's one waitress. I think she's the cook, too. And he said, Where's the I've been here for an hour, and I've got Nothing. And, and everybody around them just kept grumbling, and they kept asking her for more things, and she was harried, running all over the place, trying to do what she could. But you know, one person you just can't do it. And you could see her getting more and more frustrated, and more and more uh, despairing about it, and feeling the, the eyes and hearing the voices of people who were just were accusing her and, and lambasting her and demanding of her, and and she. And the guys at the table, he said, we joined in. We were just as bad as everybody else, said, except for one of us, my friend Jamie. He said to us, hey, you see the guy? He said, I think the guy over there is the, is the manager of the restaurant. We looked over, and there was a, a big guy leaning against the counter, staring at a television, watching ESPN. And Jamie said, I've been watching him. He's been standing just like that for half an hour. Well, this waitress is going crazy. And the next time the waitress came over, Jamie said to her, he called her by name. He said, hey, Rachel. And that sort of surprised her because she, people have been calling her a lot of things, but none of them used her, her first name. He said, come here just a second. He said, is that your boss? And she said, she said I'm sorry. Yeah, she goes, I, I can understand why you want to talk to him. Let me go get him for you. He goes, no, 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 wait, wait. I don't, I don't want to talk to your boss. I just wanted to know if that's who it was. Listen, come here a second. He said, Rachel, you don't need to be sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that he's not doing anything to help you. I'm sorry that that you've had to serve all of us and our grumpy, bad attitudes today. And I, I just wanted to tell you that I'm sorry. I said, you could just see the weight of the world lifted off her shoulders. And she looked at me and said, thank you so much. And then she went back to her work. It's a small thing. Just a small thing. But it's bringing this presence of justice and mercy, of beauty and joy and hope in the small things, in the everyday things. You now, part of it says, well, anybody can do that, and that's true. There are lots of people in the world who care about justice and who think about mercy. But Micah is saying, I'm not talking to those people, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to me, I'm talking to God's people. And what he's saying is, I'm not saying that, that only God's people can do justice and mercy, but I am saying if you're one of God's people, you do justice and mercy. It is one of the defining characteristics of God's kingdom, justice and mercy. And that's why the last part of what he says here in verse, chapter 6, verse 8 is so imperative Because he says, not only to do justice and to love mercy, but he says to walk humbly with your God. It's a choice for us. We can choose whether we want to be a presence of mercy and justice if we're not one of God's people. But if we're one of God's people, it is not a choice. It's what we do. It's who we are. It's what it means to walk humbly with God. It's interesting to me how many times walking is used to describe people's relationship with God. Adam and Eve walk with God in the garden. Enoch walks with God. Noah walks with God. Abraham walks with God. And what's fascinating to me is that in all of these accounts, you don't really see much of any talk about the destination. It's the journey. It's the walking with God that makes the difference. It's not about the destination. When Abraham, when Adam and Eve were walking with God in the garden, I don't think God said, okay, we're going to walk a mile and a half today and I want to show you something. But he said, let's just walk and see what we find. It was the journey. When Abraham is called by God, God says, I want you to walk with me. And he says, where do you want me to go? He goes, you don't worry about that. I'll tell you when you get there. You just walk with me. And he does. And there is something about entering into the journey that is so important for us because we get so enamored with the destination, we miss the joy of the journey. We get so enamored with with the end, with, with success, with the goal, that we miss out on the journey of getting to that. And God is saying, yeah, we'll get to the goal. You leave that to me. You just walk with me. You just walk with me. It's in the journey that we discover things. It's in the journey that we see the beauty of God all around us. It's in the journey that we learn to to, and we begin to understand who God is and what God has called us to be because we're spending time with him. But when our goal is the destination, then all we're thinking about is the end justifies the means. How fast can we get there? What's the fastest, shortest route to get there? And we often will run over people to get there. And people who are enamored with the destination care very little about justice and mercy. And in fact, people who care about the, who are enamored mostly with the destination are people who ignore the very people that Jesus tells us to love, God and our neighbor. Because all we're thinking about is getting to the destination. And the only way we're going to walk in that journey is if we walk humbly with God. That's such a key word. Walking humbly with God. To walk humbly with God means he decides where we're going, what route we're going to take, the pace of our walk. Everything is about him. And we surrender ourselves to him. If he says stop, we stop. If he says go, we go. If he says look here, we look there. Because we've surrendered our walk. We've surrendered our journey to Him. And we do that because we believe He is always looking out for our best interests. Remember, this is the God who in chapter 5 of Micah tells us there's going to come a day when a little baby is going to be born in Bethlehem. And that little baby is going to become the ruler. And that little baby is going to reveal to you for exactly who I am. And is going to live in you and transform you. It's going to make make you able to walk with me in faithfulness. It's about being humbly surrendered to God. And we can trust God. We can walk with God because of who He is. The last words of this prophecy talk about who God is. Chapter 7, verse 18 begins, who is like you, O Lord? And I would expect, I would expect that to this question, where is another God like you? Who is like you, O Lord? I would expect the answer to be, because you're so powerful. Or because you know everything. Or because you are perfectly holy and righteous. Even though all of those things are true, that's not Micah's response. Micah says, where is another God like you who wants relationship with us? Who cares about us? Who forgives our sins? Who actually wants to walk. With us. This is the kind of God who is calling us to be his people. It is fascinating to me that Micah's name means who is like Yahweh? Who is like the Lord? And the answer to that question is only the people who humbly walk with God. Only the people who surrender themselves to God, only the people who see God for who he is, as the God who loves us and cares for us, who forgives us, who desires us, who yearns for us, who wants everything good for us. We are God's people we bear witness of God to the whole world. Do we want to look like God? Do we want to surrender ourselves in such a way that He shapes us, walks with us in His image? Father, thank you for desiring relationship with us, for desiring to make us in your image, be your people. Forgive us when we forget. We want to walk our own way. Set us free to be the people you created us and call us to be.
0: Amen.
1: like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings.
0: It used to be for creation eternity soul now to stand. You stood before my failure and carried a cross for my shame. My sin Empty hands held high, high. Such, such small sacrifice, if not I joined with my life, I sing in vain tonight, may the words I say, and the things I do, make my life song sing, sing. bring a smile